Welcome to Series 5 of Behind Closed Doors podcast series. I am Donnie Walford, the Founder and Managing Director of Behind Closed Doors. In today's episode, we are speaking with Alex Blood. Alex's experience spans state, national and global levels for a wide variety of mining, oil and gas, infrastructure and industrial projects across Australia, Upper New Guinea, Asia Pacific and Africa, interacting with lenders, governments, communities and a wide range of stakeholders. Alex, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. You are such an inspirational leader with over 20 years of diverse industry experience. You've held various senior roles at state, national and global levels for mining, oil and gas, infrastructure and industrial projects across Australia, Papua New Guinea, Asia Pacific and Africa. So please share with us how your international experience has helped shape your career as a leader in very male-dominated industry sectors. Thanks, Donnie. And that's a very nice intro, kind of you to say. (laughs) I thought about this a little bit and I think for me the ability has been to work across a range of countries and cultures and that has been a hugely important growth and learning opportunity for me. It's the diversity of the people, the languages, and the cultures, which was challenging, not to mention the environmental settings, which is my original background. But from that challenge, I think, has grown the ability to flex yourself. And it may sound odd, but I think experimenting with communication and collaboration styles, it stretches your own agility and your own flexibility. And through that, you're able to build, I think, a bit of a resilience to change to the uncomfortable You can foster a curiosity about new people, new settings, new things. And these same skills when you're challenged are so useful in the comfortable and the not so comfortable scenarios that you can find yourself in. And I think it's leaning into the uncomfortable that has helped me develop in the diversity of my sort of technical background. So when you're in a state like Adelaide, in a country like Australia, with all of that global experience, and you say it gives you that ability to flex, do you ever get bored when you stay in one state or one country at any time? I don't think bored is the right word. I am wired to find things that energise and activate myself. So in government, which I think many people would think is a more of a traditional role, I think I've probably had some really unexpected opportunities to create projects that I'm really interested in, that are complex, that are innovative, to take people on that journey. And so where I could have got bored, if I had sort of sat and accepted the status quo, I think it's grabbing the opportunities that are there to keep yourself interested and stimulated because there are amazing opportunities and amazing people wherever you look if you just take the time to have a bit of a look and push and poke and, and look in the dark corner. <laughs> That's good advice. So you mentioned on your own LinkedIn profile that you are passionate about innovation and collaboration. What ignited this passion? What ignited this passion? I think as a personal side, it was probably a combination of family and work, but I was very fortunate to have an Omar who was a thoracic surgeon and a PhD, which tells you where she was in her journey at a particular time when she was growing up. And she was one of the most resilient, creative and critically sharp, intelligent people that I think I've ever met. 
And I never remember her ever saying you can't or you shouldn't. It was actually the opposite. It was always everybody can, they should, and push yourself. And I think for me that's carried over in the love of science and not being bound by things. And when I look at that topic of innovation, it doesn't always have to be something unattainable. It doesn't always have to be a giant leap forward. You know, it's one of those things that can be incremental in nature or it can be a really big bang. And the opportunity to change, the opportunity to challenge the status quo, which I have mentioned, the ability to bring curiosity to a situation so that you're not just a single solution or a single scenario. The passion for me really comes from the joy you get working in that kind of complex setting. And given you don't know what you don't know, if you're working with others, they help fill your knowledge gap, but you also have the ability to help fill theirs. And then together you then come forward and you're able to move together and unpack a need to create a solution or a different outcome and to give them access to information that puts them on that path of analysis or the ability to interrogate things differently, I find really satisfying, pardon me. And I've been really lucky to work with lots of teams that once you empower them with knowledge, become outstanding thinkers and problem solvers. And if I come back to my Oma, she certainly brought us up with that knowledge is there to be pursued and unpacked and you should throw your hand in anything. And there is no failure because if you don't try, that's the failure. Mm, I'm a great believer in that myself, Alex. Alex, you've mentioned Omar a couple of times. What's your heritage? My Omar is Prussian, which is German, traditional German background. Yeah. And I think based on our family background, certainly the access to higher education for women in the 40s was probably a lot higher. And the fact that she became a surgeon and then also did a PhD, I mean, how exciting is that? And then you think we're still having those conversations now, right? Today, exactly. It's crazy. What a great role model for your mother and yourself. Uh, She was an amazing lady. Yeah, gosh. So how important is all of that then, the innovation and collaboration in your current role as the executive director with the mineral resources at Department of Energy and Mining? You know, it's funny. I don't think I really knew what I was stepping into when I stepped into it and probably innovation wasn't something that I thought there was a large part of, but collaboration I certainly did. And I think in the time in government, that's one thing I really admire is the ability of government to collaborate with many really different people within the institution of government, but also outside. Their openness to that astounds me because the depth and the breadth is not always something that we would all do in private sector. And I guess the innovation side has been really about creating the own opportunity And that's really emerged in the technology, but also the ideas in the thinking side for me in government. And I've really appreciated and learned a lot from the teams here about complexity and the complexity of issues that government is placed with the different and so varied stakeholders that they're trying to find a solution for. And I have been surprised and delighted at just from a technical thinking perspective, but also an actual project perspective the opportunity is there. It really, I think at times comes down to people's passion to be able to make the change or find pathways to get to the opportunity. It's been great, actually. So it would be wonderful to hear, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about the innovations that are emerging in the energy and mining industry now. Oh, yes. So I guess nobody will be surprised if I start with decarbonisation, particularly in the mining sector, which traditionally it has a big imprint on the ground that everybody can see and is a high energy user. 
Now, that's a huge topic for the sector globally, and it's really wide-reaching. It's everything from green energy to cars and trucks moving to electric, but also I think the idea of self-generation with really remote energy sources. You know, there's pushing now increasingly into how do you get smaller, lighter touches on the earth itself, so really small project footprints, and how do you reduce the resources that you need to pursue a mining-based project or the value-add that comes from that where it's actually the resource use may be contributing to climate change. It's really broad. It's very exciting. I think the other one for me that I've become very passionate about in the last few years is the opportunity in data analytics and artificial intelligence, which Mm. is huge. And I think it's huge from everything from predictive maintenance, equipment trends, even health and safety and environmental monitoring as far down as resource discovery and, you know, I'm very fortunate to have worked with a great company here called Fleet Space who one of the first to develop oh, light. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Flavia. Matt and Flavia are such a great team. But the great way team. that they approach problems is fresh and they saw an opportunity in mining and we talk often about exploration. And so now they're looking at low-cost probes that send remote information to satellites and then stream it back to an office. Now, most people would have laughed in the industry 10 years ago, but there's real openness to that change. And I think I'll always take the opportunity to plug the fact that South Australia in the decarbonisation space is well on track to be 100% renewable by 2030. And in fact, last spring hit 100% renewable. So we're sitting at about 70%. Awesome. I know. I always look forward awesome. to spring because I'm waiting for the, <laughs> I'm waiting for those statistics that go, oh, today your state was 100% green energy. That would be amazing. Will we be the first state to reach that? We are definitely the first in the country. And I think we tussle with one other country in the world for being the renewable energy leader. And I think Denmark, I think it's Denmark and South Australia kind of tussle on number one. I do think at times Australia probably doesn't crow loudly enough of it, just how forward and how leading they are in that space. Uh, Correct. And that's an Australian, not just a South Australian thing. Absolutely. And I think the opportunity for the rest of the country will be to learn from the journey that South Australia had. So their own transition to renewables doesn't necessarily have to go through some of the pain points South Australia did. So... Innovation, obviously, is a much lauded concept. What are your top three tips for stimulating innovative thinking in business? I think, firstly, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I think there are many more people that we sometimes don't realise are an untapped resource for fresh thinking, fresh inquiry and ideas. And it's important to think about just how and why your people or people in general are constraining themselves. Is it about the culture or is it even about their own confidence? You know, why? What's bounding them? What is the self-construct that is limiting the way that they look at the things that they're in charge of? And I think by challenging people to reframe a question or reframe the problem in an effort to try to help unstick your team or unstick them, unstick the thing that's holding them back. I often refer to what I'm observing is you seem to be stuck on the fence, so I'm going to shake the fence to see if I can get you to fall off. And in that process, actually, that's often what people need. They just don't realise and they need to be loosened up to be able to then get their momentum back up. And I think you do need to try to create an approach where you can be a vehicle to help people move outside their sort of normal patterns. You know, there's no right, there's no wrong. Is that their patterns of thinking you're talking about, Alex? Yeah, or the routine, the routine around work or the way that they've approached things or this is the way we've always done it because why? People don't know what they don't know. So 
you have to find an opportunity to create a sense of inquiry or bring information to them to build their own knowledge base. I always do really well if someone can create that sense of anticipation or opportunity to get me into a positive mindset that there's hope, there's potential, there's no wrong way to do something. And one of my favourite things at the moment is I'm a real fan of acknowledging the elephants in the room. What are the things that are slowing us down or stopping the desired state that we want to get to? How can we encourage it to be shared? How do we get people to discuss that and release those metaphorical elephants back in the national park where they belong? (laughs) Because they certainly don't belong in my office, that's for sure. And when you say people don't know what they don't know, that's a given. But people don't like change, do they? They're afraid of doing something different, approaching something different, even thinking differently. And as much as you do that blue sky thinking or, you know, wear a black hat, a white hat, a red hat, you know, that sort of thinking, it still hasn't, like over years, it still hasn't shifted people to any great, hasn't it? What do you put that down to? I guess there are a few things that I like to think about when I'm trying to work out what is the problem I'm trying to help people or solve. I think we can be impatient and I do at times think we're so focused on give me that one big bang global solution, big deal, fly me to the moon that we forget that there's a lot of innovation in the little things underneath and they're not even little but in scale, you know, how you approach something differently, that's innovative and almost you create such a sense of anticipation that it feels too big and too far away for people that they don't recognise that little efficiency gain or the guy that redesigned the shape of that gin bottle so it slots neatly on the shelves. (laughs) No. I literally thought that this morning when I bought my morning coffee. It's like, who was the guy or the girl? It was a girl, I know it was, that redesigned that bottle so it stocks better. But what a great use of space. It's innovation, Donnie. It's innovation. Too early for gin. Not too early for gin. So what is the most innovative project that you have worked on in your career and was it successful? Look, I can't land on one, so I'll apologise to you in advance, Donnie. I guess I'll touch on a couple of things I'm actually enjoying at the moment. One is really early days. It's a collaboration with government and Oz Minerals to try to set up the first underground testing facility in the Southern Hemisphere. It's complex. There's a lot of different stakeholders with different needs, complexity again, but the potential for it for the country actually rather than just South Australia, South Australia as well too. So many different industries, you know, defence, space, telecommunications, mining, transport, the ability to use those unique testing environments, I think, and the way this idea was born and where it's moving. Look, maybe it won't get up in its entirety, but it's certainly fascinating on the way. And I think The other one for me was here, which we kicked off in 2020. We were the first government in the world, actually, to run a global crowd-sourced artificial intelligence and machine learning competition. We stepped into very unknown territory for us, (laughs) very unknown for government. You know, it really challenged the people in my team, but it's been really clear that I've been able to watch that growth and that expansion The learning has been significant and I think it's actually created a wave of evolution within the geological survey, which is part of my division, and it's touching on what we do, how we do it, how we deliver the value of data, the value of public data, how you collect it, even what is the ability of a government agency to learn and accelerate learning because 
private business must come to a solution and a benefit and move on. So that's been really exciting and there's no end point on that for us. They're just a couple of things that I'm really enjoying, but watching the pathway to get there and realising it's not what people normally do, but the benefits are huge and the learning opportunities are huge. Once again, South Australia leading in something that's very exciting. Yay. So into your governance career, you've chaired boards such as the Australian New Zealand Board for Environmental Professional Certification and have held past global and national corporate sustainability and technical advisory roles. You've also been awarded Australian Environmental Practitioner of the Year and received several project technical awards. What would be the pinnacle of your career, Alex? No limitations. <laughs> so I'm dying to see how you react to this. So I thought about this. <laughs> I thought about this a lot and I unpacked and repacked things going, no. Donnie's going to want unconstrained. She's giving you full permission for <laughs> don't hold yourself back and say this is where I've landed. God's honest truth to the point that I want to have a conversation with a few people. I'd like to be part of a female-led space and earth mining company renowned for its ethical business performance and its small footprint resource creation. We'll have an office on the moon and the earth head office will be based in Adelaide. And it will not just be a great, green, clean, low-carbon city to live, but it will be full of growth and talent in tech, R&D, and renowned for its passionate people. So that's where I landed. Oh, you are We should start recruiting. You know, I think everybody should be asked that question, but everybody should be asked it where you try to allow them to relax and stop judging it by... And think about it. Correct. And then let their mind just flow touch points that get you all excited to the point where you're almost <laughs> grinning with like, this is ridiculous, but actually isn't. You know what? I think we're going to ask it of all our behind closed doors community and see what they come up with. But I tell you what, that one's going to be very hard to beat. <laughs> you're the benchmark. My final question for you. You told me last year, standing at all, something like six foot five of you, that if you don't sleep at least eight to 10 hours a night, you can't possibly reach to how tall you are. How true is that statement? It is. You grow the most. <laughs> Fact, you grow the most when you're asleep. So I'm six foot one. My brother's six foot six. Now imagine how much time he used to sleep. And I have no intention of shrinking because it would be weird to be less than six foot one. So I've got to make sure I get my nine hours so I stay round about the same height. Thank you very much. On that note, my darling, thank you so much for being such a great podcast guest. And I wish you so well in reaching that pinnacle of your career. Thanks, Donnie, and thanks for the invite. It was lovely. Thanks for listening to Women on the Move, the Behind Closed Doors podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. To find out more about Behind Closed Doors, visit www.behindcloseddoors.com where you can find the full range of membership options. Women on the Move was recorded on Ghana lands and is a narrative network audio production.